ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again, it's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. Hello, 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 my Purpose Girls. Well, it is Pride Month and I have been honest. I don't think I've done any episodes on this, but I'm perfectly honest and out there that I am a bisexual woman. The thing is, I wasn't always out there as a bisexual woman. My first love was a girl, which I know I have shared on previous episodes. But when my best friend, who was a girl, told me at 16 that she loved me, I'm like, I love you too. Like, I had no idea what the heck she meant. And over time, I realized, oh, I really love her. And we had a beautiful, romantic, sensual, sexual relationship that at the time I was way too terrified to tell anybody about. First of all, I didn't understand it myself. And if I couldn't understand it myself, I didn't even know how to talk to anyone, including the therapist that my mom had been paying for. And it's a very different world now. My teenage stepson has been comfortable with his own sexuality and his own experimentation and loving different people and having friends who love different people since he was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. It's just a very different world. And I even sometimes wonder what might have happened if I had grown up in a different world. And this is what I love about pride, that it's really saying, let's be proud of who we actually are. Now, I have it, quote unquote, easy because I am attracted to men and women and I happen to be married to a man right now. And so discrimination doesn't come at me. I have never experienced it. And yet so many of our sisters and brothers, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer brothers and sisters, and those who are gender fluid or agender, don't identify by a particular gender, receive a lot of harassment and even the laws. Many of them, at least here in the United States, can be <laughs> stacked against as if these beautiful humans aren't human. And so this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast, I want to dive into what it is truly like and the experience for one of our beautiful trans sisters. And I want to do that because humans are humans and love is love. And as Purpose Girls, we are here to promote every single human on earth living their purpose and rising up and getting to be celebrated and loved. And I have the perfect guest to talk with us about this. Dr. Jennifer Booker has three engineering degrees, just completed a bachelor's degree in nursing after careers in the aerospace and defense industries, and is a computing professor. She is now starting a career in nursing. She came out as transgender in 2013, and in 2019 published her story of coming out and going through the transition 
in her book, The New Normal, Coming Out as Transgender in Midlife. She is a beautiful woman. She is a soul sister of mine. She is a goddess. And I love this woman like it's going out of style. (laughs) Jennifer, welcome to the Purpose Girl podcast. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. So you lived the majority of your life in the gender of male. And I only know you as a beautiful female. (laughs) And I'm going to be perfectly honest for everybody out there. You are my first transgender friend. And I so appreciate your book because it helps so many people to understand who haven't been through the experience or don't know the experience to really come into the humanity of your heart is your heart and who you are is who you are. So maybe we can start at, quote unquote, the beginning of how you knew and when you knew, because I know for you it happened later in life, that you were Jennifer. You were a woman. You are a woman. So it started when, oddly enough, I was trying to find um, better connections for dating because as a child, I was always praised for being really smart and being able to do science and math and all that good stuff. And that's wonderful. And that got me, you know, a lot of wonderful jobs and some good money. And so I kind of missed out on that whole concept of um, understanding people. (laughs) And so I never, I didn't date in high school. I, um, you know, did absolutely nothing social in high school. I just basically hid out and and waited for college because I hoped that would be more interesting. And, and so I realized that, you know, while everybody else was making all of their first mistakes in dating when they were, you know, 16 or something, I wasn't. And so uh, it actually started in 2011 when I went to um, a a presentation at the Fringe Festival in Philadelphia called The Song of the Sacred Whore. Now, I've been pagan since the mid-80s and identified that way religiously. And I thought, well, wow, this is wonderful. I'm all for different forms of, of recognition of the sacred feminine. And so I went to this presentation by Monica Day, and she said, and she was going through this whole history, both personally and in a more mythological sense, Um, to describe different aspects of the divine feminine and how they were being repressed by our society. And so afterwards, it's like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing woman. I have got to find out what she's doing and get more of whatever this is. And so the next spring, uh, I started taking uh, workshops with her and it was focusing on authentic self-expression and primarily through writing because that was her favorite medium but also giving performances of reading some of those things that we wrote and and refined about ourselves. And so it was a large challenge to say, hey, what can I write that would actually investigate who I am and how I relate to my own body and my own sexuality? And so the piece that I wound up doing was one of our our assignments, as it were. Uh, I wrote a letter to my cock. One of, if not my favorite pages in the book. It is one of my favorites. Yes. Ah. 
And so I, I finally put down in words the frustration I have of not being able to connect to what should have been the foundation of my sexuality and, and relationship with women. And uh, so I kept going to other workshops that she offered and doing some more exploration. And then at one point she said, hey, I even hired her as a, uh, a life coach at, at considerable expense to see if, uh, okay, what, what, what am I missing out on that's really obvious? And everybody else knows this, but I never learned it because I was a nerd and still am. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well bragged. Well Thank bragged. You. Thank you. I love your nerdiness. <laughs> and, and so she said, well, there's this lady, um, uh, Michelle, that's coming out from Arizona that you might want to try working with. And it's really a little, a little unusual in terms of, of body work because um, she works in two areas that most people who do body work don't deal with. And so the first of them, after she does the basic introductory stuff and trying to figure out who you are and what you're trying to get from the sessions, uh, is focusing on your mouth because of what you say about yourself and the, the messages that you give yourself. Now, as a child, I went through dozens of surgeries because I had a congenital defect in my left leg. And we were constantly trying to fix me. And I was constantly a cripple. And so the last surgeries were the beginning of the first year of high school. And so I missed a couple months of school. And then I came back rolling around in a wheelchair for a while. And all of this stuff happened. And so basically, um, I was a cripple. And I always thought of myself as a cripple. And that was crippling my own image of who I could be. And so that was one of the things that she first challenged me on. She, I was on a massage table uh, naked and she was sitting in between my legs and she started throwing my legs around and, and treating them in a way that was just completely horrifying to me. And the world didn't end. Mm. And it's like, Ooh. and then she finally put the words to it and said, you're not a cripple. That, that, that's not part of who you are. You can throw that identity away. It doesn't belong anymore. Um, and so I had tried doing some more physically active things in recent years, but this was just flat out confronting me with what I was saying about myself. Right. Like the biggest story that you had hung on to. Yeah. Because... Um, the way that, that my mom always expressed it, because she was always, um, she never seems to have confidence in the body, which is sad because she used to be a nurse. Um, and she would just simply give my now dead name and say, just say your leg. And that meant don't try to do that because your left leg is so fragile that it'll be destroyed and you'll never walk again. And that was the sort of message that I got over and over and over again that reinforced this cripple idea. And so it's like, wow, this was really incredible. And so it happened that she was staying out here um, for a week and a half or two weeks or something. And I was able to schedule a second session with her. And so we started the session. I was just sitting on the massage table and she asked me the silliest question I've ever heard in my life. Who are you? Hmm. And I thought, wow, that's really dumb. 
So I told her my name. <laughs> I didn't say it. I just called it really loud. What do you mean? We've met before. I, you know, what? you worked Did on me before. What? <laughs> I paid you dearly for this appointment. You don't right. even remember who I am. You don't remember my name? Yeah. <laughs> and 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 she said that. And then she left it blank after saying, and sometimes I'm I'm going, and she just left it hanging at the at the end of that. And it's like, I have no idea where this is going. And neither did she. And and so eventually, after after my brain was going, the only answer that came to mind was, and sometimes I'm Jennifer. Mm. And and I have no idea what else happened after the rest for the rest of that session, because my mind was just going, this is ridiculous. This is just new age garbage. This couldn't be true. Now, before I came out to the East coast, I had uh, in my spare time studied massage therapy and body work and stuff like that, because wow, those are really fun classes. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, Yes, come to class, watch a demonstration, and then half the class gets naked and you work on them and then you switch places. Yeah, that's that's a pretty awesome class. Sounds um, good. <laughs> and um I thought, well, you know, I've seen some people that are really, really out there. Um the other area that that she works in that I, I left out was that um your basic survival. And she works on that by inserting a finger in your anus because the first chakra, if you're familiar with that system, is all about what you do to survive. And so it focus, she focuses on what did you do in the moment to survive that is no longer serving you? And that's a huge question to ask yourself. Because in the moment, we'll do all kinds of weird and crazy things. Um, I survived a 12-year abusive relationship and finally got the strength to get out of it. And in that relationship, I did all kinds of stupid things to survive in the moment. Right. And so um, that's when Jennifer came out. That was Mm. April 2013. And so, of course, I first said, well, I've I've been praised all over the place for earning engineering degrees left, right and sideways and and being a professional nerd and all of this stuff. And I kept thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. Can't be true. No way. Not even vaguely possible. Right. And then my body work training came into play and I checked in with my body. And I realized that immediately my shoulders dropped and fell back and my chest opened up and I could breathe more easily. And my whole body had just a wave of relaxation going through. And that's how I realized that, uh Oh, this, this is not some new age BS. This is real. Yeah, this is true. I mean, for anyone out there, when you speak truth to yourself, we're so used to speaking lies to ourselves that we don't even know our lies. But when you speak truth to yourself, you will feel your whole body relax. And as you share that story in your book, I, my shoulders relaxed. It was like, ah, oh, I had this feeling, this sense of you in your body as home, maybe for the first time. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So then I, I finally, over the next couple of months, came to terms with the fact that, okay, this is true. This is not going to be easy to explain to my family. Um, <laughs> and, and so even within two weeks, I had been doing more ongoing um, writing about central expression and, and stories and things like that. And in Philadelphia, there's uh, something called the Erotic Literary Salon. And so once a month, you can show up. And if you want, you can sign up for five minutes to do almost anything you feel like, most of which are readings of essays or poetry. Could be yours, could be somebody else's, could be real, could be imaginary, whatever. And so um, I didn't have a whole lot of exciting, you know, uh, uh, erotic stories to tell, but I told what was going on with me. And I did that from before I came out and all through my transition process. And that formed the basis of a good chunk of my book because I had been doing all this writing. I did writing as with the, uh, with Monica as, as a life coach and, and things like that. So it was a, a fascinating amount of information. But yeah, I came to terms with the fact that, okay, this is real. Now what do I do with it? Do I just sit on it? I could just keep going to work the way I used to. And, you know, I was quickly introduced to the fact that, by the way, now that you're transgender, that's a fetish. And it's like, <laughs> Ew. Really? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm I'm familiar with a fair number of fetishes, but yeah, I never considered myself one of them. <laughs> Meaning that when she told that to you, other people, you are a fetish to other people. Other people want to be with someone who's transgender. Yes, that's correct. Yes. <laughs> And so she introduced me to FetLife, which is a website all over the world that um, caters to every fetish you can imagine. And then quite a few you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, okay. So I went looking on there and, and it's like, okay, there are fetish events in Philadelphia. And she introduced me to those. And that was one of the first places I could safely dress up and, and not feel completely out of place. But, you know, I realized that uh, the whole time I'd been working on authentic self-expression. Mm. And so what's the point of working on authentic self-expression, discovering who you are, and then hiding it except for like, you know, two hours on a Saturday night? Right, right. You have this beautiful section in the book called Going Public and Quote Passing, where you go into and start describing, and I'd love to hear this, how people would tell you how you could more easily pass for a woman, right? What you could do with your hair or what you could do. And this was a part that really struck me because it was what you just said. Why am I trying to fix or change to pass? The whole idea is my authentic expression. Exactly. Yeah. Because I, I thought, well, well, you can't see this, but I'm quite bald. And, you know, good old gene pool. Thank you, mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, and I have fairly broad shoulders. I, so I'm, I had a very mesomorphic, a very powerful build um, as a man. And that was really convenient for having natural strength and all that good stuff. 
but it's not terribly feminine by the standards of our society. And so I thought, well, some things I could do, I could, you know, get hair transplants and I tried to learn how to do makeup. And so I mainly do that for theater because boy, that takes a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I've got too many things to do. (laughs) Why are we putting on makeup every day, ladies? It makes no sense. Like, as I say, with lipstick on. But the lipstick, when I wear lipstick, it actually makes me feel sexy. There you go. There's and I'm doing it for myself, not because good. it's like to, to be presentable, but it, yeah, why do, we don't have time for this shit, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I was uh, choosing between going to either Sephora or MAC for an introduction to makeup because I literally knew nothing about it. My mom was from the generation where she went into the bathroom and took a shower and did her hair and her makeup and everything else and got completely dressed before she ever walked out the door. And therefore, my my first girlfriends were really confused that I was so fascinated to watch them put on makeup. Mm. <laughs> because I'd never seen it before. You'd never I, seen it. I barely knew anything about it. It's like, I, I kind of got an idea what mascara is and lipstick was pretty easy. But beyond that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still don't know. I still can't walk into Sephora because I don't understand what all the products are. My sister is like a Sephora genius. So she can tell me like what I need to buy, but I, I, I've I, never really understood it either. But something so interesting about you, Jennifer, is that as you describe your story in the book, you had so many interests that other people might identify as female or feminine. Right, whether that was dancing, sewing, and I'm not saying I would, I'm like that society would becoming a midwife, you know, things that we have genderized, right, in our society and said, well, you're supposed to be this or you're supposed to be this. And so how beautiful, and I'd be curious, when you look back, do you say, oh, well, maybe I did know earlier or no, just those are not gender activities. I think I was getting hints, but I had been raised in a, a, a fairly conservative household. And at the point when I was growing up, mostly, say, in the 70s to date myself, um, the only example of someone who was transgender was the tennis player that went to Denmark to get a sex change operation. And everybody just shook their heads and said, wow, that's ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? That's crazy. And so there were no role models. There were barely even any role models for, for gays and lesbians. I mean, you know, looking back at, at things like uh, the, the TV show Laugh In, and I didn't realize at the time, but oh my gosh, that cast was so gay. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow. That's amazing. They didn't burn down the set. Mm. Um. <laughs> and it was just not talked about. I mean, it was a huge deal when Ellen came out, you know, and that's why I, in my opening story, I wonder what my life would have been like. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm married to the wrong person or any of that, but I certainly could see my life having been different if I had felt like it was okay to love either gender. Yeah. And so I, maybe if I was being raised now and, you know, kids now are so flexible and accommodating and it's basically no big deal if you're gay or lesbian or trans or whatever. I, I was still teaching, um, 
when I came out. And, and so my students saw me coming out and changing wardrobe and stuff like that. And they didn't care. It doesn't make any <laughs> difference to them. Oh, I love this about this generation. Yes. So open, like people are people. Love is love. What are we making a big deal? Let's move on, you know, like just wanting to know each person for who they are, including that, but not making it bad or wrong or all about them. Yeah, like like there was a TV show, I think it was called Soap in the late 70s, early 80s, something like that. Okay, love that show and haven't thought about it since. Continue. <laughs> this is great. And, and I believe it was Billy Crystal that was on the show and he was a token gay character. And I think that was the first show where they actually had someone who was openly gay. Mm -hmm. And But it was mainly for comic relief. No, yeah, that was the oh well, yeah, okay. Where you're here for comic relief, and that's cute, but it wasn't really exploring anything beyond that. But that was like the the the, the first inkling of oh yeah. In fact, I literally didn't know what homosexual was until I was about eighteen. I was that sheltered. Sure. Yeah, nobody talked about it. One of my my dad's colleagues was um, was a gay man, and people just went made little side comments to each other about uh, knowing that it wasn't common for him to have a woman in his house or something like that. And so they just little little tangential references. Oh yeah, I remember my cousin David is the oldest in my family, and and when he wasn't married to a woman by thirty everyone started whispering that he was gay. Mm. And that stuck with me. So I must have been about 12, 13 years old. Like it really stuck with me. Oh, there's something wrong with David. He's gay. And it turns out he's not gay. And it really wouldn't have mattered if he was. There is nothing wrong with him. <laughs> but this wasn't talked about or it was hushed about, whispered about. And what a shame because... Who cares? Right. Mean and and I care. Right. So like who you love is totally amazing and beautiful. And who you are in your body is amazing and beautiful. And it drives me crazy that society discriminates so much about this, because how how is Jennifer living her life? How is you living your life hurting someone else? It's just not. So there you were and you started dressing in more, I guess, female-oriented clothes teaching. And your students were like super cool. And were you then feeling more comfortable in your body? Like, oh, or, and in your clothing? Was it fun? Was it scary? What were you experiencing? Well, it was interesting because um, having been part of the pagan community, pagans are a lot more flexible about, you know, different standards of dress and stuff like that. So years ago, like in the 80s, um, I was at a pagan festival in Wisconsin, and there was a, a little old lady from Omaha, Nebraska, and I bought a tie-dye cotton gauze skirt from her. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing that I have a skirt and I can wear a skirt and it's really fun. And I like when it rubs against my legs and it's awesome. And of course, that's something you only did in a pagan environment because most people would look at you kind of funny if you did that. And at the, because at the time, your gender was male. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I had still had no idea that anything else was going on. 
But then fast forward to to the beginning of 2013, interestingly, right before um, I came out to myself, there was supposed to be a Lady Gaga concert in Philadelphia. And I, I paid a dear price for a very good seat because it was Lady Gaga and why not? And then I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to wear to this concert? What would do justice? And I thought, oh, I'm going to wear the tie-dye skirt. And then I was trying to think of what to go with it and all this other stuff. And then I thought, no, I could do something different. I could do something different. I mean, she's not really that much of a hippie vibe. Um, I Maybe a tutu. I've been Ooh. dancing for a while. Maybe a purple tutu would be awesome. Mm. And I was trying to figure out what to wear with it. And it's like, okay, so I searched around and I, I'm pretty good sized. You know, I'm over 200 pounds. So it was hard to find something that, that was off the rack that was a purple tutu. But thank goodness for eBay and custom made <laughs> clothing. <laughs> and then, even though I had found this for that concert, which incidentally was canceled because she got sick a week and a, a week before it, hmm. I started going on the internet and looking for other skirts. And I'm watching myself sort of like an anthropologist watching this behavior and sort of trying really hard not to analyze myself too much. And I was looking around for other skirts and I'm going in and then I wound up buying some of them. And I'm thinking to myself, this is stupid. Why are you buying these skirts? This makes no sense at all. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, you got, you got the tutu for, for Lady Gaga. That's not, what are you doing buying skirts? And so that was sort of the, the, the final straw that helped Jennifer come out was the fact that I was either looking for decidedly, you know, female clothing in that sense, or um, what is it? American apparel. Mm -hmm. I was looking specifically at things that were listed as being unisex. And it's like, hmm, that's interesting. Right before coming out as transgender. <laughs> Telling. Telling. <laughs> a, little, uh, a little foreshadowing here in this story. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it, it was a, a difficult process to look at. The funniest part was that when I was on uh, my office uh, when I was teaching, was on the same floor as most of the staff people from my college. And so I would see a lot of them and a good number of them over, over half were, were women. And so I started, you know, putting on a blouse instead of a polo shirt or something like that. And I got the most amazing looks from them that were so subtle, but uh, they would see we'd be, you know, going opposite directions down the hall and they would look at, at what I was wearing and this little tiny smile, like Mona Lisa's smile would come on their face because they knew what was going on. Oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> a friend of mine who, who was very into fashion um, was later talking like six months later as my wardrobe kept getting more and more feminine. And she was talking to one of the upper managers in my, in my college. And, and she said to him something about, well, you know, that, 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 you know, Jennifer's been, been wearing more and more feminine clothing. He hadn't noticed. <laughs> he was clueless. Absolutely. I had had conversations with him in person, face to face. He had no idea that my wardrobe was changing at all. 
<laughs> so it's like, yep, okay, most men don't pay attention to fashion. Right. right. So they, what am I so worried about? But this is, Jennifer, this is, was brave. Even if they really didn't notice, I can only imagine the amount of fear that comes up, the amount of trepidation. And, and frankly, you are one of, if not the bravest person I know. Because then to make the decision, no, I'm going to listen to my inner truth, my inner knowing. I'm going to dress as pleases me, as makes me feel good, as lights me up. I'm going to express in the world in what feels authentic and good. And then you had the courage to have surgery. I mean, this is an incredibly courageous act to follow your truth. Yeah, it, it was, like I said, it was part of, well, authentic self-expression. So the wardrobe started changing. And then I started thinking, when I first came out, I said, oh, yeah, there's no way I'd go through surgery. No, no, maybe some hormones, that's fine. But with her surgery, no, that's not going to happen. I was incorrect. I changed my mind. <laughs> um, so after after I had been switching my wardrobe over very slowly, and I realized that, you know, I made sure that, oh, not only the school I was teaching at, but also the city of Philadelphia had um, laws or, or rules on the books that said, you can't be discriminated against for your gender identity, which is what would protect transgender people. And so it's like, okay, is it relatively safe? Am I just going to get fired on the spot if I come out as trans? No, not according to that. And so that was part of what I had to go through before I even started switching the wardrobe to make sure that it was relatively safe to do that. Oh, I mean, I cannot even imagine. Can we pause here? I want to pause for a second. I want everyone to imagine because this is what I'm imagining. If I imagine that tomorrow I said, you know, I'm going to have short hair and that feels authentically me. I'm going for it. I'm buzzing it all off. I've never had to worry that I would be fired or rejected from service at a restaurant. or. I mean, this is insane that you have to even think about it. This is why our laws must protect all people. And so I just want everyone to think about that. Because I, one of the things that holds us from living our purpose is the fear of being our authentic self, that we will be rejected, not loved, harassed, made fun of, judged, etc. If we are our authentic self, and this is why I say that you're so brave. And so you look into the laws, Jennifer, it says you're good. They cannot fire you. At least openly. At least openly. Right. <laughs> And so I started switching wardrobe over and then I thought, well, I, I came out to myself shortly before my 50th birthday. If this is genuine, if this is who I am, go for it. Don't, don't hold back. And so by, I came out in April by that beginning of November, I started on hormone therapy. And that's suppressing the testosterone that my body made and replacing it with estrogen, which basically meant that I had puberty 
all over again at age 50. <laughs> at 50. <laughs> wow. Wow. I can only imagine. What did you start to notice happen when you start flooding your body with estrogen? Well, uh, the, the main thing that, that, uh, that the estrogen was eventually going to do was give breasts, which are wonderful. And, um, and also it reduces the, by the, the lack of testosterone reduces your body hair quite a bit. Mm. And so they said, everything I was reading about it said, oh yeah, it takes, you know, years for the full effects to take place. So I didn't expect anything, but, um, the, the most fun one was that only a month after I started the, the hormones, which was basically like two shots at the time. I brushed against something with my chest and I got this zing of energy and went, mm. holy cow, what was that? <laughs> I was like, my breasts had become really sensitive. Welcome you know, to nipple a, stimulation. <laughs> mostly a very good way. And, and so I started asking my cisgender female friends that I was close enough to to ask such a question. Did this happen to you when you hit puberty? And I got responses all over the map from, oh, yeah, they became so sensitive that they can't stand to be touched or no change at all in sensitivity. And so like most things in biology, it varies a lot from one person to the next. But most of them had already experienced some degree of that. And I thought, you know, being raised as a male, nobody told me about that. Hey, when you're dating someone and you, and you want to start making out, make sure they get warmed up before you go near their breasts because, hey, they're probably fairly sensitive compared to other parts of their body. Right. And it could be in a good way, but if you get there too fast, it might be in a very bad way. Right. I mean, this is like a whole other topic that we could talk about that I think a lot about, you know, since I'm going to be having a baby boy that if he turns out to be heterosexual and wants to be with women, I want him to know how to please a woman. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is a whole other topic because I don't think anyone's teaching boys this and porn is not doing it, right? Oh, so, definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the trouble too is that in, in my generation of growing up, nobody talked about consent. Mm. It wasn't even a topic because, well, boys are supposed to be aggressive. And if the girl says no, that just means you're supposed to keep keep going because she's just making sure that she's not going to get labeled as easy. And so the, the whole concept of consent was just completely screwed up because most of the messages that, that I was getting were a completely contrary to my nature and B were basically saying, Oh, it's okay to, to do what you want with women because that just proves that you're strong and they won't respect you if you're weak because weak equals feminine and therefore not a man. And so those conflicting messages were just horrible for me. Oh, and cause you're such a sensitive soul. You know, such a sensitive soul in that letter to your cock. Mm -hmm. What I loved is you were really talking about, I'm going to find someone for you to connect with and to love and to cherish and who's going to be, you're going to get to be deeply in love with. Like it, it was none of this BS man, you know, it was, we're going to have fun and we're going to get to rock it out. <laughs> 
going to fuck your brains out. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you say that and then, but then you go into like this deep connection, right? And the love and the, so you start flooding your body with estrogen. You start noticing. And then what happens? And obviously I read the book and I want everyone to go get this book. I think it's so important, so important, especially if you're here in America or if you're in a country where there are still laws and politicians that are trying to take away or prohibit rights for our lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer friends, brothers, sisters, and especially so much it seems right now targeted at trans, our transgender friends. I definitely want you to get this book so that you can humanize, right? This is not, we're not just talking about like a thing on TV, right? Or a flag. We're talking about Jennifer here, a dear friend of mine. So then you decide I'm going for the surgery. That is brave woman. All right. That is brave. (laughs) Yeah, that, that was obviously a huge decision. Um, So after I got started on hormones and my body said, oh, this is cool. Yeah, yeah, this is good. Um, <laughs> because it is possible to start on hormones and your body goes, um, mm. <laughs> and <laughs> Yeah, those are, I'm sure you learned those terms in nursing school. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so uh, Philadelphia has a uh, transgender health conference every summer, like, there's not a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and so um, the summer after I started on hormones, I went to go investigate, okay, what is the state of surgery now? What, what, what is it covered by insurance? How much does it cost? What do they do? How good is it? All that kind of stuff. And I, I went to two presentations, which were basically saying the same thing. Uh, from from two different uh, doctors that that perform that kind of surgery, uh, which occasionally is called gender reassignment, gender confirmation, and of course used to be a sex change operation, which sounds a little more barbaric. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, <it's not laughs> um, and so I looked. At, I I went to the health center that I've gone to for for the queer community, and I said, okay, I'm considering getting surgery. And they gave me a list of five or six doctors. And some of them were really far away, like Florida. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) if I'm going to go to Florida, I'd go to San Francisco to the lady I saw speaking who who gave a really nice presentation. (laughs) But there was also one of them who was right around the corner, literally probably not more than five or 10 miles from my house. Wow. That convenient works. <laughs> and, That's like serendipitous. The universe really yeah. saying, Jennifer, it's right here. You know? It's around the corner. Yeah. Um, and so uh the surgery itself was a little over twenty thousand dollars, uh payable in advance for everything. Like here's one check for the doctor, one check for the anesthesiologist, another one for the hospital. Da, 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 da. And at the time, I, I have had a girlfriend who was being very, very supportive going through this transition. And so um, after the initial hospital stay after the surgery, I was able to come home with her help. And she basically stayed with me for like three and a half days to wow. make sure that I got through the last part of the, the initial recovery. 
Beautiful. Uh, before she went back to to being employed and everything. <laughs> very, very sweet of her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it's it, there are all sorts of videos on YouTube that go into the gory details of how it's done. Frankly, I haven't actually watched any of them. <laughs> no need. I was going to say, you, you don't need to. No need to. Uh, nope. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> and, um, you really don't. A, you've been through it. And B, it's more, how do I feel in my body now? Yeah. It's yeah. irrelevant, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And um, and so the the process, the, the re- initial recovery in the hospital took three days and had tubes everywhere and all kinds of stuff to make sure that everything went through, it went okay. And then the next three or four days at home were the, the first part of recovery to get to the point where, okay. Um, seems like everything's reasonable. And then I had appointments with the doctor all the way up to a year later. Cause I knew from, uh, from my research that it took a year to recover. And I've had a lot of surgeries. I've had a ton of orthopedic surgeries, broken legs and all kinds of stuff. And holy cow, nothing took a year to recover. <laughs> a whole year. And I, I couldn't figure out why, because most of the stuff would easily be healed up within three months or so. And so I found out there was one very weird surprise that took me a while to realize after the surgery was that because they were basically rearranging some of the tissue that was already there, they cut nerves in the process. Mm -hmm. And therefore, some parts had no sensation Mm. whatsoever. And the, the most of the year of recovery then was my body rebuilding connections to those nerves. Mm, mm. And so that was a whole other weirdness that, Hey, this part I can feel. And the part a quarter of an inch away, I can't feel it all. What? <laughs> and, and just to be clear, this is within your pussy. Yes, absolutely. So this is within your pussy really starting to feel a, what it's like to have a pussy, but then you can't even feel some of it because your brain is not wired yet for it well or my pussy's not wired yet but yes your brain is still thinking we have a cock and so needs to to re rearrange and one of the things i love about you there's a million things you really embrace your pussy oh yeah i had to work hard for her you did (laughs) she wasn't original equipment (laughs) you had to work harder for her than anyone else i know right exactly and so i've seen you just very much honor and embrace your femininity and your pussy as sacred and that's beautiful more than i see a lot of cisgender born female women who are like, ew, it's gross, or I never looked on there, or I was told it was bad. You know, it's actually quite beautiful how you connect with your own body. Yeah, because, you know, and everybody looks and, and says, well, every pussy looks different. And you can find these, you know, art projects that have a hundred different vulvas that, that all look different. And I certainly don't look like anybody else's, but neither does anybody else. <laughs> right, right. And, um, and so it was, it was weird because I got to go through a lot of traditionally female experiences for the first time as a very aware adult. 
just like going in to see the doctor and putting my feet up in those little stirrups <laughs> and then move your hips down toward the edge. Yeah, welcome. Welcome to our world, darling. Oh my gosh. I have never felt that vulnerable in my entire life. <laughs> and and the, it is because someone's entering you. Like yeah. You are coming into my body. And this is the thing, whether it is at the doctor, the gynecologist in a speculum, or someone is inserting a, a penis, their penis, or they are inserting a toy, you are entering my body. This is sacred space. And I don't think we teach that to women enough. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Because I really, that really came home to me after I started getting a little bit more, you know, recovered from the surgery. And then I was like wearing a skirt and walking down the street and the nice little breeze came by and I went, oh my, that was a really nice little breeze. Because um, even with panties on, you could still feel the difference very, very strongly. But it also occurred to me how ridiculously vulnerable it was because there's nothing to protect it. You can cross your legs, but that's kind of limiting anyway. And so there, there was an awful lot of realization of just how vulnerable women are mm. um, that I never expected to see. Right. And I'm not sure that any man could understand. Yeah. Could try. Yeah. But until you have that experience, how, how could you? Just like uh, people have done surveys as to uh, when do women first uh, experience somebody looking at them in a sexual way or catcalling them or something like that. And I think the, the, the average age was around 11, which is a very sad statement on our culture. And all of a sudden, when I started wearing skirts, not surprisingly, I also started getting catcalled. And having experienced that for the first time as an adult is like, what on earth are you doing? There was even an occasion where I was walking near the University of Pennsylvania and there was, there was a couple of, I presume, students from there, um, a man and a woman, and the woman was catcalling me. And it's like, why on earth would you attack another woman? You're a young, conventionally attractive female. You probably get catcalled all the time. Is that revenge? Yeah, you should know what this feels like. It's, I mean, there's so much about our culture that we aren't, it's like we've become numb to the result of our actions, right? Or to what somebody said, well, I was just being, you know, fooling around or just being fun. Or you, you know, I remember one of my first cat calls, I made a face and they said, it was a compliment. You're just taking it too seriously. It's like, no, this is my body. This is myself. So Jennifer, I could talk to you seriously all day long. And I'm sure everyone listening to this is really taking this in, you can just see and feel and hear what a beautiful human Jennifer is. In the last couple of minutes, there's, which is not a couple minute conversation. It's like hours conversation. There is a lot of debate about the rights of transgender people. And it makes me furious. So I can only imagine how it makes you feel. Yeah. There's, there's a tremendous amount of and I, I learned some of this from psychology was that we love to put things into boxes because it means our brains don't have to work very much. So if we have some nice tidy boxes to put things in, our brains are really happy because then we can say, oh, everything is either the male box or the female box and that's it. 
nothing else to worry about. But, um, and so a lot of people that never got past a, a fifth grade education for biology still believe that. And most of our laws are set up that way. So for example, I came out as transgender, but I was switching from identifying as male to identifying as female. And therefore I went to the, the gym and I got permission to change my locker from the men's side to the women's side. Awesome. What about people who don't identify as either male or female or identify as both? Which locker do you, room do you put them in? Mm-hmm. Our system doesn't have any way of understanding that. And depending on which culture you're in, uh, there, there's tremendous amounts of violence uh, against transgender women. Um, a lot of it were during the Transgender Day of Remembrance each year. You, we read off the names of all the known transgender people who were killed. And the vast majority were um, transgender women of color. And a huge number were from Brazil, because apparently Brazil has very, very uh, antiquated policies against transgender people. Um, even in the news here in, in Philadelphia, um, there was a transgender woman in West Philadelphia who was murdered and chopped into pieces. And I just saw an article yesterday and come to find out that the suspect who allegedly did this is one block from my house. And so it's like... Come move in with us. Yeah. Because it's like, you can't pretend that this is just something that happens, you know, in Never Never Land somewhere. This is real. Um, transgender people like myself who have gone through the whole transition process, this is like one person in 20,000. It's pretty rare. And partly that was a, a matter of privilege, class privilege, because when I found out it was $20,000 plus other miscellaneous expenses to go through confirmation surgery, I was able to raise that amount of money and be able to do that. But if you've got a 20-year-old person who's transgender and homeless, yeah, it might as well be $20 million for, the, for, for as far as they're concerned. So the, 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 the lack of understanding um, that, yeah, biology is not cut and dried like that. There's way too many other things that can happen, both physically and emotionally. A hundred percent. And this is really true of all people. There's very little that's black and white. I mean, even within race, it's not all black and white, yeah. right? Because we have people who are of mixed race. We have people who are black, but feel they they vote politics one way or white and they vote, <laughs> vote politics. It's just, there is no all or nothing, right? It is what this comes down to. And this is what I love so much about you is that this is your authentic expression. This is your truth. And it's, you know, a sample size of one. And this is where we need to get to as a society that we treat each person as a sample size of one and come to know them and love them. So again, I could go on and on, but I know we have to wrap up. So I love to do this thing at the end of my interviews called a purpose power play round. I'm just going to ask you two most random questions and whatever's the first thing that comes to your mind. Does that sound good? Okay. Okay. Five years from now, where are we going to see Jennifer Booker? 
uh, I'm going to be in Hawaii. Yes, you are. <laughs> and you're going to be inviting a lot of sister goddesses to come oh, and enjoy definitely, with you. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yes. I mean, and now that you've become a nurse, you are so well set up, so purposeful. You know what it's like to be the patient. You know what it's like to receive good, loving care and probably not good, loving care. Definitely. I mean, talk about turning your life into purpose, right? Your childhood experiences of everything that happened with your leg and then going through these surgeries, like this is, this is purpose all out, sister, all out. All right, my second question for you, very simple, easy one. What is one thing you want every woman to know? Mm, that they are divine, that they have access to power that they can't imagine, that every bit of them is completely sacred and wonderful and perfect. <sighs> you heard it here first, Purpose Girls. <laughs> you are divine and every bit of you is sacred and wonderful. Now that just relaxed my whole body. Jennifer, you are an exceptional human being. You are kind and you are generous and you are fun and you are beautiful and you are brilliant. You are everything. And so thank you, thank you, thank you for being on the Purpose Girl podcast. Everyone, go to docjennifer.org, docjennifer.org to learn all about Jennifer's book, The New Normal, Coming Out as Transgender in Midlife. Of course, we have the link in our show notes. You also can get the book on Barnes & Noble and Amazon, and we have those links in the show notes as well. Obviously, this is a captivating story, and there's so much that we didn't even get into. So much, so Thank much. Thank you so much. Mm. All of you out there, I hope you loved this episode of the Purpose Girl podcast. I know I loved doing it. This is so important. Pride is important because it's important that every single human on earth is proud of who they are. I want you, Purpose Girl, to be proud of who you are. That's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing as a Purpose Girl movement. If you love this episode, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave your five-star review. It helps women all over the world find us. And if you haven't yet signed up for the Purpose Girl newsletter, do not wait because while I'm on maternity leave, that's how I'm staying in touch, my girlfriends. <laughs> so you want to make sure that you are on there. You just go over to PurposeGirl.com and sign up and you'll also get your free Living on Purpose guide when you do. Of course, share this podcast episode with every person you know. It's so important because that is how we change the world one woman at a time. And with that, my love, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself. And may you love life. Bye for now.